You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey guys, this is Rick Hadrava with another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. You know, I'm so glad that you are listening and, and appreciate the support. You know, when I think of entrepreneurs, I often think of grit and determination. And, you know, the truth is entrepreneurs come in so many shapes and sizes, so many varieties. They bring different different gifts to the world and their own unique experiences. And it's that when they bring that to the marketplace in a way to create value for others, we just see great things happening. And I'm a true believer that the entrepreneurs of the world are the real problem solvers. And so today I'm really excited to have our guest. You know, he grew up in poverty. He worked as a welder to pay for college. His future in aerospace was changed after the shuttle Challenger blew up. I remember where I was when that happened, actually. He started multiple business ventures from real estate, coding, to even hog farming. That's a very interesting one to me. Uh, But eventually, he saved up enough money and bought his first McDonald's. And from that point, he's built a successful company, employing thousands of people over the last 30 years. And he's achieved that American dream. And it was from that point that he decided to run for Congress so he could do the work to help other kids just like him find that success. And so I want to welcome to the podcast today, Representative Kevin Hearn. Kevin, thanks so much for taking time to be on our our podcast today. Rick, thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. Well, listen, let's go back. And I always like to give a little color to the background of what got you to where you are today. And for you, um, it looks like that was Dover, Arkansas. Tell tell me about growing up and and your journey from that point a little bit so we we can share your story. Yeah, thanks, Rick. Um, So really, my journey started, uh, my dad was in the Air Force. And in 1968, when he went to uh, Vietnam for the third time, my mom and him lived in Wichita, Kansas, McCall Air Force Base. And I have a little brother at that time, 18 months younger than me. And my wife, my mother uh, said, I I can't be a wife of somebody that's gone all the time. And they got divorced. And my mom moved us back to Arkansas, where they were both from. And then married a gentleman that uh, uh, became my stepdad, who uh, was not a person who liked to work and lived on food stamps for 11 years from the time I was about seven till I was almost 18. And uh, I, so I saw what it was like, uh, you know, living off the government and for somebody to complain that other people had more than they did, but he just did not like to work. Uh, they had three more kids together, brothers and sisters. So I have two brothers, two sisters. I had a sister older than me that died of spina bifida at birth. I have a, my oldest sister, who is about nine years younger than me, has spina bifida, and, and my her daughter has spina bifida. So we have, that's on my mom's side, and that really created some hardship for my mom, which made it very difficult to be uh, you know, a mother that had time for everyone. I was the oldest. Um, I learned early on that if you wanted independence, the, the, you know, the harder you worked, the more people wanted to be around you. And so from an early age, when I was in high school, uh, actually, in junior high school, I would skip school uh, and work at a sawmill for 12 to $14 a day from time to time to get gas money. 
And um, when I was in ninth grade, uh, uh, my stepdad realized I was making more money than him. And so he required me to pay rent to stay at home. And after about uh, two and a half more years of that, I actually moved out the summer between my junior and senior in high school and lived on my own uh, through my senior year. I'd gone to a career center, uh, Votech, if you will, uh, during my junior and senior year in high school and learned how to be a draftsman. And so I did that after I got out of high school. I, I had no desire to go to college at that point in time. And I, I worked in welding. I worked pipelining, uh, drew blueprints, all kinds of things for a couple of years and decided to uh, go to college. I kind of got my, my focus on what I wanted to do. I was always pretty good in math in high school. Uh, and I became an engineer. I uh, got a degree in engineering. Uh, I had a chance in 1985 to get a job with Rockwell International. And at that time, I was the highest paid college graduate out of our what was then a small school in Arkansas, Arkansas Tech University. It's now the second largest college in, in Arkansas. Uh, but uh, Rockwell was paying me almost 40000 a year in 1985. It was quite an experience. I got accepted into Georgia Tech University in an astronautical engineering program that they had. Uh, there were everything about uh, astronauts and, and uh, NASA. And, and January 28, 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger uh, exploded 73 seconds after liftoff and changed the career path of pretty much everybody in the aerospace industry in those days, consolidations and things like that. In late 1986, a buddy of mine had owned, uh, was, was an owner of McDonald's in Little Rock, and uh, people were fleeing Rockwell trying to find other career paths. And I called him up and I said, hey, uh, you'd mentioned to me uh, about one day maybe looking at being a franchisee. So we'll just come look at it. And he said, if you don't like it, you know, the industry, your industry will be back someday. And so I went and started in, in January of 87. And I, as I say, the rest is history. It was a place yeah. I could go and work really hard and uh, achieve a lot. My problem was I didn't have any money. It took me 10 years to work doing all kinds of entrepreneurial type things to save $100,000 to get my first McDonald's restaurant in January 17th, 1997. Wow. Well, there's so much rolled up in that. I have to ask you, though, what drew you to the aeronautics industry in the first place? Because that seems kind of disconnected from your, your, uh, your background, your upbringing. Yeah, you have to remember, I was born in 1961. So uh, in 19, you know, the mid 60s, obviously, uh, 69, landing on the moon, there were, there were, you know, there were interruptions into regular programming of the two to three channels we had on TV in those days, what time, little time you watch TV. And so you, this would be put in front of you. And of course, everybody would wrap around the TV. Uh, when I was in third grade, I built a rocket ship out in my front yard out of boards and an old boat steering wheel. And, uh, you know, I was, I was a dreamer. I've always been a dreamer. Uh, but I think, you know, you have to be more than a dreamer in life. You have to be also a doer. And so I think, you know, part of my DNA, uh, I dreamed, I loved, I was actually thinking about being a chemical engineer when I was in high school uh, because we had the Arkansas nuclear power plant there. I, I didn't necessarily like the chemical part of the chemistry part of that. So it really became, uh, I was always a hands-on fix-it kind of guy because I've got my degree in mechanical engineering. Uh, it's it served me well my entire life. Been a great foundation for a lot of things that I've done uh, in business. The aerospace field was was very interesting, and we didn't have internet in those days, so you actually had to go look at a magazine, want ads in the back of the magazine, and that's what I did. Uh, my I think my junior and senior year in college, and applied to Rockwell, and uh, I got this job. Well, that that's fascinating, and so as the Challenger blew up, and like I said, I remember I was still in high school. But I, I vividly remember that day, and that kind of changed your path. 
And I know you talked about McDonald's, but the reality is from real estate to coding to, to hog farming, you did different things. Did you do those things? First of all, hog farming, I know there's a story in there, but did you do those things? Did you know, hey, my outcome, my objective is $100,000 so I can buy this McDonald franchise at that point? No, what actually happened in early 85, uh, my buddy that I mentioned uh, had bought some McDonald's and I'd met him through some family acquaintances. He, February 1st, 1985, he bought the restaurants in Little Rock. There were six of them. And, I, and he was asking me, is there anything we could automate? Sort of kind of the future AI of the world, if you will. And I wrote a software program in early 85 that automated the end of the month inventory process that every McDonald's franchisee in the world does every single month. And it was a lot of fudging of numbers. And so I built this uh, interactive spreadsheet that would cross check all the different numbers and it would cut the inventory time from like 10 to 11 hours to two or three at the time. And uh, through the summer, I actually called it, it was called the ultimate advantage. I ended up selling it along with computer, a bundled up computer. When this was in college in 1985, my first business that I started on, you know, as a first uh, employee, if you will, and I was actually making about $30,000 a year in 1985 selling these computers and the software that I had written. And I got about 150 McDonald's franchisees involved in that. So I just, that was sort of my entrepreneurial spirit, finding a, a niche of something that needed to be done that I could make it better for the person, the customer. And uh, that's what I did. And it, it's really, it was really what kicked off my entrepreneurial career. Unbelievable. So software engineer as well. Um, but how did you how did you balance your day with the hog farming? Yeah. So what happened was in uh, late eighty six, nineteen eighty six. Uh, I'm sorry, in li- late nineteen eighty seven. I had a opportunity to buy some property uh, out where my my dad and my mom's homesteads were out way up in the Ozarks, and I bought eighty acres. Then I ended up buying another eighty eight acres, one hundred sixty eight acres. And uh, my uncle at the time uh, worked at Tyson Foods. I'd grown grown up on Tyson chicken farms, poultry farms when I was younger. Hog farming, uh, contract hog farming was getting to be pretty big in the area in the Arkansas River Valley. And so I had the chance to get started. And, and, you know, I I was at the time I was 25 years old, 26 maybe. I'd got a $400,000 loan to build this uh, hog farm. And I, it was the most money I'd ever seen in my life uh, from from borrowing, and they took a chance on me. This uh, national lending institution, and I uh, kept that for about eight years. My brother, uh, at the time, my brother, eighteen months younger than me, actually ran the day to day operations. I would work. Uh, I was also flipping real estate. I bought a set of uh, ninety nine dollar books and tapes online that I've been <laughs> watching, uh, not online but on TV. Dave Delgado's real estate class. So I, I bought and sold real estate, you know, small deals. My first venture, I made about three grand. I did a lot of the repairs myself. But, um, you know, I, I just you looked at opportunities and how could you go take my, my sort of my MO was I would do those things that other people wouldn't because they either felt they were too good for them uh, to do that. They wouldn't uh, go uh, sell to the masses, if you will, go look at these, these opportunities. They wanted to hit the silver, you know, the home run, the silver bullet. And I, I thought if I could just do a lot of little things that all a combination of a lot of little things would, would create something really great. And, uh, I would attribute that thinking to my success today. Absolutely. And I love that. Um, and I think that you're right. I think we live in a time where, uh, it's that shiny object syndrome and that big fast check. And there's, so many ways 
to to do what you've just talked about if, if we're if we're willing to work and and put put in the hours. So you saved up a hundred thousand. I'm curious that that's a lot of money back then uh, for a McDonald's, but by comparison, what would a McDonald's franchise go for today? Well, that I bought that restaurant in January of '97, and I, the the total cost it was four hundred thousand. It okay. was a very low volume, low sales volume restaurant. I was actually making less doing that than I was working for the other. I was the director of operations for a gentleman that had 11 restaurants around that restaurant. And uh, I realized on day one that just because you're in business doesn't mean you're going to be rich. I was actually had lost a lot of security of being working for somebody else. So I went from working, you know, five, six days a week, 60, 70 hours a week to basically seven days a week, uh, responsible 24 hours a day. and um, that restaurant was 400000 That same restaurant today would probably cost about $3 million. Uh, wow. McDonald's at that time request, requested, required 25% down. So that's where the $100,000 came to. And that was about the average cost for a, a restaurant of that volume. Uh, today, uh, you know, you're talking 70, 750000 to a million dollars just a down payment for one restaurant, if you can even get the opportunity to have access to that. So we took that one. I kept it for a couple of years. Realized the exposure, the risk was high. Having one location, your exposure to competitors. And my wife and I sold that, moved to Muskogee, Oklahoma, bought two there. And then that was in March of 99 and went from two in 99 to 23 over the next uh, eight to nine years, over 1,200 employees. McDonald's doesn't allow you to have any uh, partners other than your spouse or your kids. Uh, my children have never been partners. It's just been my wife and I. So quite an experience, quite an opportunity, uh, starting out as a manager trainee through all the positions, you know, cook, grill, you know, working closes and weekends. And my first three Thanksgivings in McDonald's were eating Big Macs on the top of a safe. And so I, I've seen it from, and that, that's the beautiful thing about the McDonald's franchising system. Everybody has to do it the same way. A- absolutely. Well, so as you think back from your meager beginnings to where you are today, is there a lesson or, or just something that resonates in your mind that you carry with you from the early days? Yeah, you know, one of the one of the principles that I learned early on is I never buy anything unless I know how I'm going to sell it before I purchase it, uh, how I'm going to exit that business. And some would say, well, you don't really have a longevity in mind or something. I do, but you know, I want to build value. Uh, what I didn't mention is in 1997, I got an executive MBA uh, from the first program that University of Arkansas had. And one of the wisest statements that's ever been told to me wasn't something in engineering, but it was from the economics professor uh, at the University of Arkansas. He made a statement. He said, it's the job of every entrepreneur, every manager, every leader to grow the value of the firm, I mean, the value of the business. And that doesn't just mean financial value. It means, you know, grow your people, uh, grow the opportunities and the value to your customers. And so I've always taken that as my creed for the last 23 years. Uh, and it's really, I, as I look at businesses, that's what I do is I say, how can I make this good for the people that I work with and work that work for me, uh, that I work alongside of, uh, if it's good for them, it will be good for me. And, uh, that's, you know, a lot of people aren't that way. They're very selfish in what they do. Uh, and they don't look at others first. And I think when you do that, if you're truly in business to help grow that business, you look in the mirror every day and you don't blame anything on anybody else. You blame it on yourself first. And 
uh, that would be my my first piece of coaching to anybody that's listening to this is before you go blame anybody else, look in the mirror and make sure it's not you that's the problem. That is that is sage sage advice, and I, I appreciate you sharing that um, because I think a lot of people, you know, they avoid that real conversation with themselves sometimes. And um, I love building the team and growing the value and focusing on the right things. And it sounds like you've done that over your career. If you could go back and have a do-over in your entrepreneurial journey, is there anything that you would change? You know, I've thought about that along the way. Um, I, I'm sure there is, but I also know that those uh, failures along the way are also uh, what helps me make better decisions. You know, it, it's the old saying that you learn more from your failures than you do your successes. Uh, as, a, as an individual, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as somebody who takes a lot of risk um, to try to, to you know, hit those home runs or hit those singles and, you know, get the, the, the runs in, you, you look at those, you remember every single failure. And I always say that the person uh, that hasn't failed really hasn't taken enough risk yet because, you know, we, we could go through all the, the great, you know, entrepreneurs that we think of today, the Bezos, the Zuckerbergs, all of these, you know, some of these have been memorialized in, in documentaries or movies and they talk about their failures, but they also talk about how they moved on from those failures. And, you know, based on what industry you're in, uh, gives you the opportunity to achieve some incredible successes. Boy, absolutely. And and so would you agree with me that that probably comes from getting yourself in uncomfortable situations once in a while? Yeah, I think you always push yourself uh, if you're truly inspired by taking risk and uh, you know, looking at uh, progress and you're trying to, to expand your, your, uh, your reach or skill set into other areas. You always like to think that your skills are transferable to other industries. Uh, I always say that knowledge is king. The more knowledge you have, the better. And so a lot of times uh, failures come because a person, a person like me would go over into another industry thinking I could take all of my skill set and it would be completely transferable. And, and, and most are, uh, but what you don't have control over is the demand for the product that you're going into. So you don't have pure information. And, you know, sometimes you hit home runs and other times you hit singles and, you know, sometimes you strike out. And it's like anybody in, you know, my, both my boys played baseball. They always spoke more about their strikeouts than they did their hits. Uh, so it was always the failure that they really dwelled on or that they really felt bad about. And I think that's the way we are in business is that if we dwell on that too long, we'll not take any more risk. We won't use that experience or that education that we just got to go do better the next time. And so I've been a person that does a lot of different things. I have probably nine different businesses right now that I'm involved in. I had 16 when I started running for Congress and I'm divested of seven of those. Uh, from banking, uh, my wife and I helped start a community bank in 2001 in Muskogee. It's about an $800 million bank now. We started out with uh, $8 million in, in, in capital along with some other investors and we've grown it to about $8 million, $800 million. So a lot of experience there uh, and, and a lot of experience in the restaurant business, real estate development, technology companies, manufacturing, all those things that we still do right now. And it's uh, and as well as where I, where I enjoy really a lot outside of what doing trying to protect it, the opportunities that this great nation offers is helping aspiring entrepreneurs with uh, equity injections when they can't get a bank to go along with them is to go, you know, obviously for an equity position, but uh, 
give them significant capital so that they can, you know, start their journey. And, and they don't always get it right either. And, you know, I a lot of times take a risk on a person because of who they are and what they do. And it doesn't always pan out either. But those are part of the learning processes. Absolutely. And that's, that is really good information. I'm, I'm glad you shared that with our audience. But so let's go down the road. You brought up politics. And I'm sitting here all year as a business owner, as an entrepreneur. And then I see U.S. House of Representatives. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. I, when I first moved to Muskogee, I lived right next door to uh, Senator, then House Representative uh, Tom Coburn's uh, mother-in-law. And so I got to know a little bit about politics through him. And I'm also a private pilot. And when he ran for office for Senate in 2004, I flew him all over the state. So just he and I got a chance to understand more about what was going on in, in the underworkings of Congress. I really wasn't very political. I was in my mid-30s at that time. And so it kind of evolved and then uh, got involved in the state party just through some other people. You know, I was I was kind of on the end of holding fundraisers for others and and gave a chance uh, for people to get elected that I thought were protective of the Constitution and, and the principles of limited government and free market ideas. And uh, the opportunity came along in uh, 2016 when uh, then uh, Congressman Jim Bridenstine was being talked about being the vast administrator, and he had self-imposed term limits. A person uh, in Congressman Bridenstine that I'd supported uh, maxed out many times over. So I really got to see the underworkings from the office standpoint. And then whenever uh, he got his nomination, I ran uh, for Congress and uh, was fortunate enough and blessed enough to come out on the other end of this. And so it's been a real experience in Congress. I, I really wanted to take business principles. And, it, you know, while business principles are really great in legislation, uh, there are so few people in Congress, just a handful, probably less than 10, that really have any experience at all in signing both sides of the paycheck. So you, it's an education process. So you're trying to educate other lawmakers from around the country how important it is that small businesses, uh, where every business in America starts, is from an idea and a small business so that we can keep Americans working so that they don't have any dependency on the federal government. Well, and since 2018 and your experience going through that process and working with people, what's been the biggest takeaway in your time? Yeah, it's how many people in Washington, D.C. talk about things they know nothing about. It is amazing to me when people, when I first got on small business, as an example, I'm on the budget committee, a house small business committee, and Natural Resource Committee. And when I first got put on Small Business Committee in, in late 2018, I was the only person on that 30-person committee that had ever been in small business before. And, and so I, I was sort of astonished by how many people were talking about what they, we need to do as a small business committee to help small businesses when none of them had ever really experienced it. And they were getting most of their advice from their 20-something-year-old uh, advi- uh, staff advisors who had never been in business. And so, uh, you know, I, I brought a different perspective, and now we have uh, three other members on there that came in the 2019 uh, swearing in in January that are business people as well. So it's, it's, a, it's shifted more to actually people speaking to have experience on small business. And during PPP and, and COVID-19, it became very prevalent. Uh, you know, the committee really pivoted to really helping small businesses uh, survive the COVID-19 pandemic and are still working to do that. And so it, that, that piece is good. You know, we have a lot of uh, uh, division in this country on what's the right path for America. Uh, but I will tell you, every single day that I'm going to be in Congress, for however long that is, for, that my voters keep 
keep sending me back. I'll be working which, to protect the opportunities this great nation provides that says no matter where you came from, you have the ability to be as successful as you want to be. You can be as successful as you want to be, or you can be as poor as you want to be. There is no other nation in the world, possibly in the history of the world, that allows a, a person who grew up like me to be as successful as I've been. Very true. And that's a great place um, for us to end. We've unfortunately come to the end of our time, but I really appreciate you sharing your story and, and what you're doing now. What I wonder is if somebody wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to contact you? The best way to be, uh, reach out would uh, be hern.house.gov. That's our uh, official government website it has all of our policies, but also has contact information in there, has everything you need to see who I am, what I'm about, what I support, and also the contact information to get in touch with me. Well, Representative Hearn, we've appreciated your time today. And guys, you've been listening to another episode of the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. You can get the show notes to this podcast and other podcasts. You can hear other podcasts. You can get resources uh, through our website at www.epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. That's epicsbiz.com forward slash podcast. And if you have a question or a comment or you'd like to see something talked about on our show, send me an email at rick at epicsbiz.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoyed this show, be sure to go in and give it a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe for future shows. And until next time, remember, we're only getting started. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.